right, we're beginning the fifth chapter of the book of James this morning. And uh, you find it in your worship folder or uh, open your Bibles to that chapter. And if you're able, would you stand with me as I begin to read the Word of God? Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, open our eyes, open our hearts, our minds to your Word, that they would be more than just words on a page, but they would penetrate our hearts, that give us understanding that we may live this truth out to your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So James chapter 5 and the first six verses this morning. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lied. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, James has not been shy to confront us, to confront our uh, profession of faith over against the evidence of faith in our lives. And apparently he has uh, saved some of the most harsh words he has for the rich. And and chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, is tied to the previous warnings relative to the merchants that we saw last week. And even further back into chapter 4, about relying on earthly wisdom over against heavenly wisdom. So much like other portions of the letter, this is really a test a test of their faith and we've seen this before you say you have faith let me see some some works okay not that works save you but works are part of the evidence that your life has been changed by the grace of Christ so here in this test we deal with how a person feels about and handles wealth as a test of their faith and this reveals Uh, obviously, the spiritual state of their hearts. So James is speaking to people who, though on the outside, profess faith in Christ and their love for God, they clearly love money more than they love God, and their life is totally governed and controlled by that love of money. Now remember, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money, making it an idol in your life. That is the problem. Now, we know James didn't invent this test. Jesus gave this earlier, Matthew chapter 6, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. We we read out of the Luke version. uh, On earth where moth and rust uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And that Luke version is, I'm sorry, it's another parable about the, the rich man building bigger barns. So he's calling on those with wealth to check their hearts. Is it right before God or is it not right before God? How they deal with their wealth is the measure of that. 
having been entrusted with wealth, they have perverted it, and they have perverted themselves as well in the way that they have handled it. They've taken the goodness and the blessings of God, who gives us the power to get wealth, and as Deuteronomy 8 says, they have prostituted the goodness, generosity, and blessing of God. Prostituted it. Okay. Now we saw last week how James calls um, them an adulterous nation. Adulterous meaning not that they were... Uh, not that they were involved in sexual sin, but their hearts were moved away from our Heavenly Father. That was their adultery. So James is showing really his Jewish roots here because he sounds like an Old Testament prophet. And he has done this on several occasions. Uh, and we see this same type of warning in uh, Isaiah in several places. In Amos, O you cows of Bashan. Okay, I, I had to do that for my uh, Hebrew exegesis class. I still remember that passage. I won't bore you with it. Um, but it's, it's the cows of Bashan. They're just getting fatter and fatter. Okay, Micah chapters 2 and 3, the same warnings are there. Those are just a few of the times. The rich are condemned, not because they're rich, but because they're misusing their wealth. Because they're not using it in a godly way. And in fact, perhaps the way that they got it wasn't very godly. So let's look at James, and and in your outline there's just four simple points uh, straight through. So verse verse 1, come now. Now this is is one of those phrases that can be translated in a variety of ways. Listen up, pay attention, it's there to get your attention on what he's about to say. So listen to this. He says, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, these are, these are very important words here. The word weep doesn't mean, you know, shedding a tear like that. It means sobbing. It means lamenting. It's the same type of thing that we get from the Lamentations, uh, the book in the Old Testament. The wailing that takes place when somebody dies uh, or a reaction to shame and guilt. When we have come to acknowledge and understand our sin, we lament over it. We wail over it because of the depth of our sin. Now, the word um, howl here uh, or groan is not just groaning like a dad joke. So I want to get a good dad joke for you. Have you heard about the chocolate cello? Uh, It plays pretty sweet. Uh, see, and that's a groan, okay? That, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? This is a, a, a shrieking, screaming. Now, you may have shrieked and screamed at that joke, but you get to understand, it's not a, oh, that's, my sin is awful, oh. No, it's like, ah, it's a scream like that. So we put these two together, we have this un, almost uncontrollable grief and sorrow as we weep and we howl. And James is telling us that when money and materialism becomes our God, that's idolatry, remember that, and we realize this, our reaction should be intense sorrow. Our action should be howling and lamenting that we had let our selfish desires go to such an end that our, 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 our sinfulness got out of control where money became our God. Now, the other item here is we should realize that this wrong attitude of wealth is going to lead to our demise as well. Terrible troubles ahead. It says misery, hardships, suffering, distress. If you deal with your riches as if there is no God, 
as if there is no judgment, as if there is no eternity, no heaven, no hell, then you're going to experience the full brunt of judgment upon you. And what is worse, these things will testify to, against you in judgment. So it's not their wealth that's causing judgment, but it's rather what they have done and what they have not done with their wealth. All we have to do is go back to chapter 4, the last verse in chapter 4. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him that is sin. You know the right thing to do with your money and you don't do it? Well, that's sin, frankly. So secondly, James says that we find where the rich are putting their wealth. Now this is really contextually a a first century thing, but we can make application to almost anything else. Um, They're putting it in food, fine clothes, and precious metals. Now that's not James is not saying it's wrong to eat well, uh, to, to dress in the latest fashions, or to invest in precious metals. He's not saying that. He's referring to hoarding, to selfishly gathering things. Okay? Now God wants us to save, and he has entrusted us with things and, and wealth so that you can use those things for his glory, to provide for your family, to advance the kingdom, win the lost, care for those in need, support those in ministry. I mean, it's laid out through all, all the New Testament. So James is describing here for us three ways in which they are hoarding their wealth. So your wealth is rotting away. It says rotting away usually is used with um, rotten wood, decaying flesh, or rotting food, rotten fruit in particular. So James is saying that these people hoarded food that would eventually rot and become useless. So why would you hoard food just to see it rot? Well, you hoard food just because you can say, you know how much I've got in my storehouse? And man, I'm not touching it. I'm just waiting for the day. But while he waits for the day, it rots in the storehouse. Okay? Like the rich fool in the parable. Now, it's, it's, it's not wrong to eat, drink, and, and be merry. It's wrong to hoard those things just so that they can rot. Just so nobody else can have access to them. It's just a storeroom of rotten food. That's what he's saying you have here. Then James says your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Now, in the first century, it was not uncommon to have fine clothes and then to embroidery, em, embroidery them uh, to make them look nicer or even to sew in jewels or precious stones and then to wear them out in public. And they were often heirlooms that would be passed down. Now, if you've ever kept a, um, I won't say who this happened to, but a wool suit in your closet and you get in one day and you look, why is there a hole in my sleeve? Okay, It's not the moth that ate it. It's the caterpillar that ate it, that turns into the moth. Okay, Because they like to eat natural fibers. They don't eat your leisure suit from the 70s. Because <laughs> nothing could digest that fabric. Okay? <laughs> but they want the wool. They want those natural things, wool and cotton. So what is happening is they're putting all their money into these fine clothes. They're just going to be destroyed. Okay, They're putting them in the closet, and the caterpillars are eating them. Then he says, your gold and silver are corroded. Now, we know that, that this ring will not rust, okay? It, it, but the problem in the first century is they often mixed 
unprecious metals with their precious metals. So you could always tell when they had mixed it because it would become corrupt and it would begin to rust. So you would have, oh, here's a gold bar and look at it and it's rusting. That's the other metals in the gold bar. And that's what they're saying here. Um, so the very wealthy were count uh, that were their this wealth that they were stashing away was going to be part of what destroys them on the day of judgment. The treasure, rotten, moth-eaten, corroded, that you have hoarded will testify against you. Now that's pretty strange. It's a strange picture that we see. How is this rotten food going to testify against me? The Lord says it will, it will. Okay, And I think it's part of the fact that your heart was so sinful in this area that you took what should have been shared and kept it to yourself just so it could rot all of this gives visible testimony to your sinfulness and your idolatry that's what he's saying the idolatry as you worship money greed selfishness lack of compassion condemns us on the day of judgment so all this stuff was amassed for its own sake. It's not like, you know, I'm putting money in my 401k for retirement. It's not like that. You're just keeping it just to have it, to not share it, just to say, I got it. I don't care if it rots, but it's mine. Okay, that's what they're talking about. They didn't feed the hungry. They didn't clothe the naked. They didn't do anything to support ministry. They just kept it. Sat back in their lazy boy and said, you know what I've got stashed away? I said, you've got a lot of rotten food now stashed away. That's what you have. Okay? Their sinful hearts were exposed by how they dealt with their wealth. That's what James is saying. Doesn't mean we can't acquire nice things, eat good food, save for the future, provide for our families. But when we amass wealth, just to have it, just to have it, that's sin. Number three. Why is it not to be amassed? Well, because that type of wealth and hoarding and, and not using it in the proper fashion can lead to a variety of sins. James chapter four or five, uh, 4, 5, and 6. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. Their wealth is unjustly acquired or sinfully acquired. So instead of being generous with the poor and those who need it, they were being miserly. In fact, they were cheating the poor. And we see this. It says the wages of the laborers. The vast majority of people in the first century were, lived hand to mouth. Okay? They were day laborers. They would go out and labor for someone else, the landowner, and were expected to be paid for that day so that they could go back and provide for their family and to eat that night. So they were counting on that daily income because they had no source of steady income other than that day's labor, and, but they have kept it back in fraud. Now, why would a rich person keep it back in fraud? Hmm. Because how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's what is going on here. So they're, they're frauding, they're defrauding the least of these in society and these voices are crying out against you so God saw the injustice the poor were not getting 
justice there with with the landowner they were crying out to God and now God hears the cries of the harvesters and and you're in trouble now you're in big trouble now so their wealth was unjustly gained secondly their wealth was self selfless selfishly spent verse 5 you've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence you fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter James uses those words specifically Okay, this is an image that he's trying to communicate to us. Just like fattened up for the slaughter, that's what he says. You have been fattened by your own greed for the day of slaughter. He's not saying we can't enjoy good things. That would be a denial of the goodness of God and what he brings into our lives. But it's this selfish attitude of egocentrism that, that my world doesn't really extend beyond Randy. And I am the the center of my world. I'm the most important thing. So all I do is to feed my own desires, my own joys, my own pleasures, my own comfort. It literally means it has made me soft and I am fattening myself. To what end? Judgment. The day of slaughter. That's what he's talking about here. So he has fattened their hearts. This is a self-indulgent hoarder. He's fattened up like a fattened calf headed for the slaughterhouse of divine judgment. So the third, their wealth has been ruthlessly, ruthlessly acquired. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. And he does not resist you. Condemned and murdered the righteous person. After taking their money, robbing others, spending this money on themselves... They have condemned and killed innocent people. Now, how does this play out? Probably, my guess is probably, they have bribed the court officials so that they have taken those who have little, they have taken them to court, and because of their bribes of the officials, they have won in court. So just think, uh, for those of you who have been to the DR and you know what, how, how poverty is down there. Let's say you come up to an official and you offer them a $100 bill to sneak something in. $100 bill might be three months of their income. Okay? It's easy to corrupt people who don't make too much. Okay? Now, that's what they're saying here. It's, they have corrupted the court system to the point that the poor are getting the short end of the stick, and the rich are taking everything. Why? Because the rich just want, in this case, a little bit more. But there's a positive side to wealth. Fourth. Now, James doesn't talk about it, but there are plenty of other places in Scripture that do talk about it. Wealth can lead to many blessings when it's obtained and used in an appropriate fashion. It's not sinful to possess the blessings of God. It really isn't. Okay? All of us have some wealth to manage because we live in the United States. Even though we, we look at others and think, well, I'm not particularly wealthy. If you look at the rest of the world, we're, we're really wealthy compared to the rest of the world. God can bless us in different ways. He gives, obviously, he gives some of us more, some of us less. Some of us in professions that have the opportunity to make, I won't say a gazillion dollars, but I, I don't think that registers. A lot of money and others are in pres- professions that don't make that much money but considering where the rest of the world it it is a lot of money but it's wrong to misuse it it's not wrong to possess it it's wrong to misuse it and 
Scripture says the more you have, the greater temptation and the greater potential to misuse it. When your heart is corrupt and money becomes your idol? 1 Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So if God has blessed you with wealth, then you need to choose to be a blessing to others. You need to take care of your family. You need to take care of yourself. Plan for things. Be a blessing to others as well. Use what God has given you to further the kingdom of God. But that can only happen if, as James said, you are rich in faith, and as Luke says, you are rich towards God. If, you're only, if I'm only rich towards Randy, I'm not going to be a blessing to others. But if I am rich in my faith, if I understand the word of God, if that is the desire of my heart to live in obedience to my Heavenly Father, then I'm going to be rich towards him. And wealth can be a real opportunity for blessing, blessing so many. It can't be hoarded. It can't be unjustly gained. It can't be selfishly spent, ruthlessly acquired. But it can be a blessing to others. As for the rich, 1 Timothy, in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, which we have seen before. But set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we've known your blessings. Doesn't mean we've not known hard times. Doesn't mean we haven't worked hard. Doesn't mean we have we haven't struggled but we here in this room know your blessings we look at at so many other places in the rest of the world poverty is is rampant we look at places simply around us we see some of the same things we might look even at our own church and see a brother or sister in need and lord you have blessed us And one of the outgrowths of that is to care for them, is to come alongside of them and be concerned and help provide for their needs. Lord, you've blessed us to help provide for the things of the kingdom. And we see that in this congregation, Lord. And we are so thankful for the lives that can be influenced across this world because of the generosity of those who are here. Lord, we give you thanks. And it's only obedience. It's just obedience, Lord. We don't do it that we might gain merit in your sight. Uh, We don't do it that um, we can get an attaboy. We do it for your glory and yours alone. That the things of Christ may take hold in other areas of the world, in other areas of this country, in other areas of this city. Lord, you have blessed us in ways that are even hard to explain. In some of the little things in our lives, we can look and see your care in our lives. Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray that that our hearts are full of you. That the generosity that you have shown to us overflows in how how we live. 
and the joy of being part of what you are doing would fill our hearts to overflow. We pray this in Christ's name.